2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am fired up for today because we have Associate Professor Tom Davidoff from the Sauter School of Business, UBC, of course, back on the show by popular demand on his uh, biannual tour. To the V-Rep uh, studios.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Via telephone. I think Tom is one of our most popular guests. Uh right. One we get so much feedback about each time Tom comes on the show. But he comes back, what, he's on, he was one of our first guests ever. He's on at least twice a year. So awesome that Tom takes the time to uh, talk to us every six months or so. so For sure. So strap in. It's a great conversation. Uh, with Tom today, that is for sure. As always, yeah. And we got to say, I mean, it's just awesome talking to Tom on the show and
2: outside the show. He's just a great He's guy. He's a around. great guy. Wealth information
1: and, and and one thing to tease here, and this is shout out to Corey Wright from the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. But so we have the five wire. Yeah, Corey has the, the six, six pack. pack. Yeah. Right, six quick questions at the end of every episode on the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. And one of his questions we just outright stole. Yeah. And we did it for the first time with Tom, and I think it's going to be a mainstay. Favorite song or music group? Yeah, or band, some people (laughs) call it a music group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is Tom is the first one on our show to do this question. We just right. talked to John Stovell, president and CEO of Reliance Properties, and now we know what he rocks out to in his car. Yeah. It is a great question. I wish we could go back to 2016 and and just tap into every single guest because it's totally. such a humanizing. It is a humanizing question. It and is. It's a really interesting one. It is. And you know what's funny is like we on the Vancouver
2: Commercial Real Estate podcast if you've been listening you would know that there is a lot of gangster rap that lives in the homes and the vehicles of people in the real estate industry. <laughs> and, and,
1: and you know what? Even I <laughs> feel like that across the board, there's been what? Appraisers, lawyers, accountants. Yes. There's a lot of Mob Deep being listened to. Yeah. A and, and a Deep. little
2: known fact about Corey Wright. Nickelback that Nickelback yeah. is, uh, is played in his car and right. at home. And uh, in fact, he's actually been to see Nickelback a few times in concert. Fantastic he's uh, story. He's got some funny We'll have to save for Nickelback. Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, for sure. But uh, anyways, we ask, uh, of course, Tom David off that question today. Of course, we're going to ask him where the market's heading. He's going to do his biannual prediction for where the market's going. He always
1: sticks his neck out.
2: He does. He's not afraid to.
1: And he's also not afraid to admit when he's wrong. Right. right. So, uh, I think actually his response to when we asked him back on the show was, you want me to come on and give a wrong prediction again? I'm <laughs> <yeah>. game. <laughs> but you know
2: what, though? He's so insightful. And I mean, it, you just take so much away from these conversations with him, for sure.
1: Absolutely. Um, what
2: else do we have before we uh, get to our conversation
1: with Tom? Well, there's a few things we got. One is, Adam, you're still looking like lobster from the weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, know, I know. McLean Park, McLean Park
2: is uh, yeah the new stomping grounds, but a hidden gem in the city. I don't know if I, we should even be putting it out there. Maybe get some more people. It's 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 almost standing room only. The water park at McLean Park is uh, it's like a um, what do you call that? A it's splash the, it, pad? Or, it's off
1: the charts. You can tell you have a two year old. Yeah, uh, no one else would be talking about the no, splash but the, pad. No, the, the splash park.
2: pad is great for kids, but then the uh, the park part is all just adults. It's like a nightclub.
1: Yeah, it's actually, a, a lot, it, there's music, DJs. It, it was actually, it blew my mind there last uh, Sunday when we were there. It's, it's a lot of fun. So
2: I, of course, I forgot to put on sunscreen, and I only caught it about halfway through the day. But anyways, long story short like burnt almost to the point where like my wife was like, should we be calling like that nurse line? Like so burned. Anyways, it's it's subsided now into a tan, but
1: yeah, not good but news. It's a fine golden brown. And the other thing that came out of that day, and I, now that I'm thinking about this, I've been thinking about this all week. This is such a great thing for the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. And the credit is due to you. You were talking a lot about this on Sunday living that kokomo life
2: living that kokomo life yeah it's crazy because i always think about you know a lot of people have their why right why are you doing this and usually it's a noble cause you know they want
1: to give well, you back know, but, uh, but- <laughs> <laughs> But in, 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 we've had so many successful real estate investors on this show yeah. that talk about how cash flow has freed up time in their life totally. for, for them to do whatever they want.
2: Exactly. And for me, what I want to do is I want that Kokomo life. So this is the thing, though, is that, and I actually, this came from a, uh, this is the cheesiest way to come across uh, your new life motto, but I actually <laughs> Your saw, new hashtag. <laughs> your new hashtag. But I actually saw a, uh, it was like a, a cup that said uh, Kokomo state of mind, uh, you know, as opposed to New York. York state of mind. And I had um, taken that to heart because I feel like this year with everybody in the industry, everybody's super burnt out. Everybody's been working a ton and we're in a heat wave in Vancouver. And on top of that, you know, investing in real estate and what we talk about on this show
1: all the time can give you that kind of lifestyle. Exactly. It really meshes well. I mean, and just to put a finer point on it, like I showed up to your house. Yes. Late in the day, actually, because I was working. Yeah. Sunday, Father's Day. Not me, Kokomo Life. (laughs) Uh, Get there at 3.30. You were so enamored with this idea by the time I got there. Yeah. Uh, Hashtag that Kokomo Life. Well,
2: and, you know, the thing is, 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 to me, it's just really um, like the- Like, what uh, does it mean? What does it mean to you? You know
1: what? I kind of think, you know
2: who's living that Kokomo Life (laughs) is Chip Wilson a little bit. He's got his cash flow, his businesses, he's doing okay. But it's kind of that point in life when you can, like, grow your hair out do
1: whatever you want. (laughs) You were talking about Hawaiian shirts and growing out the hair.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Working at a surf shop, kind of Kokomo life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Anyways.
1: And, 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 well, the, the idea here is of course, real estate investing can get you there. Super exciting stuff. The big shock of course is, so Sunday afternoon, we're all living that Kokomo life from about 3.30 to about, 4.45. 4.45. Right. Um, then you had to put get your kid fit and Yeah, and, 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 uh, and go to the hospital <laughs> for my
2: burn. <laughs>
1: but we're Wednesday now. Yeah. It's already been weaponized and is being used against
2: you. Yeah, my wife yeah, woke up a bit of a fight over um, I'm not taking the weekend off. And, uh, it she turns said, out you're
1: working seven days and, this week. And her
2: comment this morning was, you don't even know that Kokomo life. <laughs> uh, threw that in my face. And uh, anyways, it's pretty much over. Here's what I will say for our listeners. If you are out enjoying this heat wave, hashtag Kokomo life, uh, especially life and life with a Y. (laughs) (laughs) But if, if you're out there enjoying this beautiful weather and you're taking time off work, and if you can do that because of cash flow, even better. But if you can do that just at all. Hashtag Kokomo life. And if you want to tag Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram, we'd love to see these photos.
1: Yeah, especially because you're working Saturday. Exactly. So somebody out there is living that Kokomo life. Definitely, definitely. Live it for (laughs) me. Live it for me. Grow your hair. Keep us posted. Get a half sleeve. Before we get to our talk with Tom, there's one other thing we should cover. That is our sponsor this week. Oakland Realty is our sponsor, our brokerage, best brokerage in town. If you are a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change in the industry, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020. That is Oakwin.com slash join, type in VRP2020. You'll talk to Michael Morgan and the gang, which is great. You also get a huge incentive for that VRP2020, so don't forget that component. But Adam, uh... Maybe we should cut to our talk with Tom Davidoff, professor at the Sauter School of Business.
2: This is an amazing conversation with Tom, Matt. I can't wait. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Tom Davidoff. He is the director at UBC Center for Urban Economics and Real Estate and associate professor at Sauder School of Business.
3: How you doing, Tom? doing great. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for yours uh, as well, Tom. Uh, I feel like we're due for the six-month check-in on the market, so thanks for taking the time today. Pleasure. So, Tom, maybe for some of our listeners that
2: don't know you, you've been on the show a number of times, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. I'm an economist at the Sorter School of Business at UBC, as you mentioned. My research is on aging, insurance, housing markets, I've done a lot on the role of regulation in housing prices, have a recent study of laneway homes with my colleagues, uh, Source Somerville from Sauter, Andre Pavlov from SFU. I take an interest in housing policy and spend too much time on Twitter. And, you know, that's basically the deal.
1: (laughs) Well, I think the last time we had you on was sometime in the fall of 2020, a much different moment, although I guess it was starting to ramp up a little bit at that point. But has the market this year in the first half of 2021 surprised you both for Vancouver, but also, you know, the Canadian market? I know you follow the States as well.
3: Well, you know, I was surprised, I guess, starting when? Late last year. I'm not exactly sure when the turnaround was. You know, there was never the COVID crash that a lot of people expected. And then there was a crazy boom. And, you know, it matches largely the stock market, too. You know, despite a slowdown that I think is, you know, considerably worse than many of us thought. I don't, I don't think we all thought, you know, June of 2021, we'd still be hanging out in pajamas you know, in, in even April of last year. So, I you know, this is on the long end of COVID, and yet here we are with a really strong housing market. So that was surprising, but I think the surprise happened, you know, a few months ago. And, you know, the one thing I will say is, you know, kind of makes sense. Once you, t- you tell yourself the story of what's going on, keeping the housing market strong, It's a little hard to be surprised on the upside. And I think the story you can tell yourself, whether it's true or not, consists of two things. One, this is an unusual slowdown in the economy because it makes you need space at home. You know, because of the internet, a lot of people are able to continue working, but you know, you sort of take up space doing your Zoom meetings. You don't want to be bumping into or shouting over other people in your house. And for recreation, it's been largely indoors in your home. So, people have wanted more space, and that's good for housing prices. The other thing, of course, is low interest rates, which just have phenomenal affordability driven by, you know, five-year rates that were below 2% for a while, you know, as low as 1.5. And uh, that makes affordability really easy. And, you know, people aren't necessarily making higher payments, certainly not economically, but uh, they're paying more for houses because they can't.
1: You know, just a few things about that, Tom. One is I was thinking about on the drive-in this morning, you know, we had you on and I think the first time was 2016, where at least famously in my mind for the life of this show, you you had an analogy to Robinson Crusoe and, you know, the foreigners showing up to the island and how to engage them. A lot of the, the people we've had on this program in the last six to 12 months, I would say, and mainly from the development community have pointed out Look, it's all local demand now. No one's screaming foreign buyers anymore. You know, there's no boogeyman here. It's supply issue. Is that kind of your takeaway from the last six months to a year in terms of the locally induced demand?
3: You know, of course, you want to be cautious. And I don't know at my fingertips exactly what's happened to immigration. And, you know, I don't know if you count immigration as local demand. You know, there's the so-called toxic foreign demand, which is some guy sitting in an apartment in some city that isn't in Canada, not intending to occupy an apartment, not intending to rent it out and buying a place. I don't think that's been who the buyer is during this run up in prices. I think it's been locals, you know, with the need for more housing due to COVID and the uh, surplus of uh, affordability on the mortgage side. That's my best guess. And you mentioned other cities. I mean, we're seeing it throughout North America. You know, home prices have been very strong almost everywhere. And so, you know, to the extent you're seeing it in Houston, you know, Houston's an international city. If it's Cincinnati, you know, is, is that what's going on? Probably
1: not. Right. Just looking at what's happened here and how red hot the market's been, does that change retroactively kind of, do you think change the kind of potential for the the narrative back in 2016, 2017, or, or is this just a totally different moment in Vancouver's history.
3: When the foreign buyer tax came in, we saw a downturn throughout the market and definitely in the high-end single-family end of the market. So I think that demand was doing something. You know, as Cameron Muir, who first told me, Tom, you know, it's local demand in most of the market, you know, foreign buyers are just the very top. You know, I may have been biased at the time. I have to say, you know, you see the information you see. And, you know, I was biking from Kitsilano to UBC up a path where you saw a lot of signs in Mandarin, a lot of people showing up in black sedans to open houses. And, you know, I may have over inferred, you know, throughout the market, you know, in segments I wasn't I wasn't seeing. But I also think things have shifted. And again, it's it's throughout North America, you know, the millennial cohort coming of age, you know i guess lingering effects of the great financial crisis sorting themselves out so it's not just vancouver that saw a run-up you know starting fairly recently obviously the bay area has got horrendous affordability and homelessness problems so facts on the ground may have shifted but i i do think there's probably an element that people miss the strength of the local market yeah
1: you know one thing that uh the perennial kind of thing you see in the news, but last week as well, Bloomberg had a, an article about, I think, Canada, and it was a photo of downtown Vancouver on the article, whether that means anything or not, but the Canada was the second frothiest market globally. I feel like every three to six months on this show, we talk about the real estate bubble and where we go from here. But what are your thoughts on kind of the the moment we're in right now in terms of risk and and where we head, go from here?
3: You know, local developer Richard Whitstock was just on Twitter sort of asking like, hey, you know, how much is the option to redevelop a single family home worth in Vancouver, right? And I did the little finger exercise. And if you think you're 25 years away from a rezoning of a single family home, you know, that can go to 2.5 FSR, you know, you're looking at about, you know, ballpark two and a half million dollars of value just there. So... When you've got interest rates as low as we have, combined with growth in rents and historically prices at the rates we've seen, it's very hard to rule out almost anything as rational pricing. I think we are reliant on low mortgage rates. Something could snap and we go to 7% mortgage rates. I think that would have pretty consequential effects on the downside for housing prices. But that's not what financial markets see on the horizon. So, You know, if we continue to see strong immigration into greater Vancouver and Canada generally, and we continue to see low interest rates, and Vancouver continues to be a physically and regulatorily difficult place to build, I don't think these prices, you know, they're not unjustifiable. Now, if you look at what happened in the U.S. in the 2000s, you know, not to look backwards too much, but the places that got into trouble where you saw run-ups in prices, combined with an easy ability to add new supply. I do wonder about some of these sort of remote suburban or rural areas outside Toronto with late country where you've seen run-ups. I just don't know how easy it would be to add a bunch of new homes there. I mean, I think there's a lot of land, (laughs) obviously, that could be converted into homes. Maybe the regulations are impossible. Maybe it's too expensive. Markets like that you worry about the most, where you see prices way above construction costs but arguably prices should be close to construction cost because of the ease of entry into the market.
2: Tom, what's your take on inflation over the next few years, and how do you think that will impact maybe not only Vancouver, but Canadian real estate overall?
3: You know, I have uncertainty, I, and that comes from, you know, two things. One, I think there is a lot of uncertainty over where inflation is going to go. And two, it's not something I spend a great deal of time thinking about. I do know people talk about base year effects. We're at 5% inflation year over year. But, you know, you had a real curtailment of demand around the time of COVID when people were sorting things out. So, you know, there's a lot of supply shortages. I know, you know, you can't buy a bicycle like you can't buy one, let alone, you know, you can't afford to buy one because of the prices. There's the chip issues with cars you hear about. So definitely, I think we're going to see some more months of price increases. But, you know, are we converting to a new normal of 5% inflation? My best guess is, you know, even without central bank policy changes, no, that probably will sort itself out within a year. But it may not. You know, I I could believe the kind of interest rates we've seen for the last 10 years could have been an anomaly.
1: You know, thinking about the kind of out come here of COVID and K-shaped economy. We had a mortgage broker on last week who was talking about, you know, how the clients that he services, and he he has a large business, but the clients he service actually, you know, have saved considerable money. It was actually, you know, obviously hospitality, retail, restaurant industry that got hit hardest. I'm just wondering in terms of what that looks like, that kind of K-shaped recovery, what that, that looks like for the Canadian economy moving forward and And what do you think that, what kind of impact that has on the real estate market?
3: Yeah, well, there's no question, I mean, that we've seen a slowdown that was not equal across segments. I mean, I've been able to do my job. You know, I don't think I'm as good a professor over Zoom as I am in person, but I can absolutely do the job. And it's in fact, less onerous for me. I don't have to spend time commuting, but if I ran a hotel, or a restaurant or a yoga studio, it would have been a very, very different story. And, you know, we're seeing it in housing prices, unfortunately, because, you know, not in every case, but on average, the people whose jobs have been threatened by COVID are people with relatively low incomes who rent. And so we haven't seen that adverse income effect in housing prices, probably the way we have seen it in in terms of lower growth rates of rent. The big question going forward is, are cities still going to be relevant, you know, places where everybody wants to work and has to work and wants to socialize, or are they going to become crime-ridden hellholes where, you know, <laughs> nobody wants to go? Right. And, you know, that's a bit of an overstatement. But again, and I don't know if I mentioned it six months ago, but I probably mentioned at some point on the show, you know, I grew up in the 1970s and 80s in Brooklyn, New York, when, you know, being in the city just was not a plus. It was full of crime and, and disamenity. And, you know, there, there just wasn't much price benefit to being close to downtown. So, if we shifted to a world where everybody can work from home and home can be Montana or um, Merritt or uh, Nelson, nice. you know, then that's a, a risk. That's an actual risk for real estate pricing near big cities. In New York, I think you see it the most. It really does have infrastructure problems. And it's getting just big, you know, it, it, it gets bulky and unwieldy to be a city that size. And if it's easy to not work there, you know, I know people who say having experienced COVID and, you know, lived in some other places during the shutdown, they're like, I'm, I'm out of there. I'm, I'm going to find a different place to live. So I think cities will probably rebound, you know, the trend in the information economy is people want to be around other people more, not less. But, you know, it could go the other way.
1: Is that the, I know we always talk about risks for Vancouver and it sounds like interest rates, at least from my understanding of what you said so far is is kind of a, a big one. But do you see that actual, that kind of move away from cities as being another risk? And I guess I'm kind of thinking of this in terms of, you know, again, just thinking about our conversation our kind of uh, every six months check in you know, the market just keeps chugging along, right? Like you see the headlines about bubbles, you see people talking about, oh, we topped out in April. And it's like, you know, apart from the headlines, like what does it all mean really in a city that seems to just keep chugging along year over year with high sales ratios, right? Like, I I don't know if, I guess there's two parts here. One is that move away from cities, potentially a serious risk. And then two, you know, the idea of a real estate market cycle in Vancouver and what that actually means or how it applies.
3: Yeah. So let's talk about the risk. My best guess is, A, it's not a huge risk anywhere. I mean, I think cities are going to come back. That's just how we organize our lives. But if it were a risk, my guess is a place like New York, Or Toronto would be more at risk than Vancouver, which is kind of a place to have fun, you know, work, you know. It's not true that the only reason people want to be near downtown Vancouver is because they have to go to a job there. There's an awful lot of amenity that only gets better as you move west in the region. And so, you know, I don't think prime Vancouver locations will be undesirable but, you know, Yaletown versus West Van, right? I mean, those were moving in very different directions until COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, the, the trend sort of went back to the burbs. And, you know, so if you're thinking about where to invest in greater Vancouver, you know, I think that's an important source of uncertainty. And if you have some information that nobody else had, you might be able to make some money. I, I don't know which way the right way to bet on that is. So that's question one. You know, a big picture in terms of outperformance, the story I can tell that may or may not be right, right? I mean, it could be, you know, that we've just had 10 years of idiocy and a house in Vancouver should really cost 750,000 bucks. And that's where we're going to go. I mean, I, I don't think that's true, but the story you could tell to say, well, I do prices keep going up, you know, why don't we just have, you know, a more economically normal rate of return, right? Buying a bigger house should make you poorer, not richer, but that hasn't been the case in Vancouver over time. And I think the story you can tell is the one I told about the $2.4 million of option value. Mm -hmm. You probably read there was a lot of hand-wringing over a company that's going to start buying single-family homes near Toronto when they want to spend $4 billion at basements and and rent them out. And everybody's like, oh, my God, financialization, this sucks. You know, we shouldn't have corporations from whom we rent. We should all get to own our homes. You know, it's a mixed bag because, you know, lower income people can't buy anyway. So, you know, maybe add some rental supply and help people more in need. But why do you see that happening? The answer is most working people just don't have either the payment or the down payment to afford the present value of rents going out to infinity plus the option value of redevelopment when interest rates are low and growth rates are high. You know, a lot of the value in a home is out way many, many years in the future, and people may not have the deep pockets to pay for it, and you may need institutions to pay realistic prices. But institutions are lousy owners of individual homes. And so what we may be seeing is a, uh, a long path where the gap sort of narrows between what properties are fundamentally worth and what actual home buyers are willing to pay. And maybe the foreign buying bonanza that got curtailed by foreign buyer taxes, maybe that was what we saw. We saw a group of investors who saw the value in the long run in a market like Vancouver and had the ability to pay, just massively outbidding local willingness to pay, but maybe driving prices closer to fundamental value. Mm -hmm. That's a story, and it may be wrong, but when you look at big risks to Vancouver, you know, how can we have this ongoing growth without something going catastrophically wrong? That's the best story I can tell.
1: It kind of reminds me of Kelowna in some respects right now. It seems like, you know, people from Vancouver, I think they're experiencing in Kelowna, exactly what, well, we've been experiencing for a long time, say, since. We're,
3: if you like, we're the Chinese of
1: Kelowna. Exactly. And and you know what? I feel like you talk to an agent there and they're like, this is crazy. And you're like, this is normal. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what, yeah. this is what yeah. it looks like. Like, welcome to, you know, what's been going on here for a long, long time. And you see
3: that with Montana and California, right?
1: Right, right. And you know what? And part of it, I think, is the lens you bring to a market. Like, I wonder if people in Hong Kong in the 80s were just ahead of Vancouver and, and just looked at the landscape here and and saw the potential that a local couldn't see in many cases. And I wonder, like Kelowna, it strikes me as, you know, Adam and I were joking that, you know, everything's the Yale town of this or whatever. But you're really, when you kind of overlay the opportunities, it just seems like they're endless there you know, I don't know. You see it in
3: Halifax too, right? I mean, that's a great, I mean, I haven't been there, but I mean, you know, I went to Cape Breton for my honeymoon and really (laughs) liked it. And, you know, I think it's a pretty cool place, you know, and relative to a lot of Canada, quite accessible from Mm -hmm. the East coast of the U S. So, you know, and I remember looking, wow, it's really affordable. You know, if you want to do, you know, fantasy shopping, it used to be a great place to do it. Right. And, 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 you know, as I mentioned, it's happening in Montana, in the U S Californians are coming in. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a temporary thing. Uh, again, it, I think it does relate to low rates. Just fundamental values get very high in a place that that has realistic growth prospects. Huh. And, you know, until rates go up or something happens where people can't increase it, you know, there stops being more people to rent in places, you know, uh, we, we may, it, it may take some time before, you know, incomes catch up to fundamental values.
1: Mm-hmm. So the, if I understand correctly, and I think I saw a debate on Twitter that you were engaged in with the, the quote unquote financialization of housing, yeah. you don't see that as a risk. In fact, you see that as actually potentially building out suites and providing more housing for people that really need it.
3: Well, look, I mean, saying, hey, you know, you can't miss with real estate. You always make money with real estate seems like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. You know, I mean, that just shouldn't be true of any asset class right? You know, in and, mm-hmm. and, and a house, it's nice to live in a bigger house. You know, living in a bigger house should mean sacrifice. You get to eat less of other food and, you know, have a worse car if you have a bigger house. It shouldn't be true that, oh, you know, well, if I buy a bigger house, then I can have more of other stuff because then everybody would want a bigger house and, you know, eventually prices would catch up and that would be the end. It can't be like both a good investment and make you happy, but it has. And so, <laughs> you know, that presents a puzzle for us, And the resolution to the puzzle for me is we've got these fundamental values that are so high that, you know, ordinary mortals who face liquidity constraints because, you know, you only have so much down payment. You can only pay so much of your income under conventional financing aren't able to pay that fundamental value. That leaves, you know, that leaves the path open for institutions. And we're seeing it in the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. Never used to happen. That BlackRock or Blackstone, which I always get confused, shouldn't be able to go in and buy up, you know, like a lot of single family homes because they're hard to manage. But, you know, maybe that's exactly what's going on. Single family stock is getting out of the hands of people who are marginally with it financially and the institutions are figuring out how to manage the transaction costs of renting one off properties. So that, that's an upside that would say, you know, maybe prices jump as those institutions figure out how to enter the market. They require lower rates of return than human beings. Mm-hmm. And and so that drives up prices for the same, you know, fundamental rental value. By the way, when prices crash 50 percent, I just want to be clear that what <laughs> I just laid out was a story, not my necessarily factual view. And, and you know, don't, don't take it as investment advice.
1: Right. Right. Well, but speaking of investment advice, (laughs) we always like to get your forecast. Now, that's one story. I guess there's many other stories you can tell about the market. Some that scare you, some that make you excited. What in terms of best guess? You know, we're coming into summer here. By the fall, everyone's talking about, you know, at least the starts of immigration again, international students yeah. getting back to normal. We just went on a on a run that we're kind of slowly coming off of right now. What's your best guess in terms of what the market does in the next six months, a year, two, three years? Yeah.
3: I think rents are going to get back in the news again. You know, I, we had a bit of reprieve in COVID, so I think we'll start to see the rental growth reemerge. That's relatively easy, I you know, I think correct. On the owner side, for sale, like I just tried to say, it's very hard to forecast price growth. You know, I don't see big storm clouds. You know, this inflation thing, rates could go up. People might be buying still on pre-committed 1.5 interest rates. You guys would know better than I do. You know, we saw rates go up maybe a, a half percent, I think. Right. You know, from like two five ish to sorry one five ish to two. So that that's a negative, And that could continue if we keep seeing inflation and the central banks move away. So I'm going to go to my usual, you know, CPI growth, you know, but not actual CPI. I'll say target CPI of two and two, two and a half percent growth over the next whatever horizon you want.
1: Hmm, Interesting. That's that's not super exciting for uh, people that recently got into the market.
3: Well, it's not bad. I mean, if you're paying, it's pretty good. I mean, if you're paying two and a half percent mortgage interest and a half percent property tax, you're at three, and maybe you know, I don't think you're paying one percent in everything else. So let's say you're at three and a half cost of capital. If you get two percent uh, growth, your cap rate, you know, your dividend yield's probably one and a half. So you're good to go. And, and and just to be clear, huge uncertainty around that inflation number. You know, nothing could happen in Vancouver that would surprise me. If we saw another ten percent up. Come on what, I mean, how many times do you have to see ten percent up before you stop being surprised and having seen those so many, you know, look, I mean, of course, we could correct what it would be a shocker if we were back at two thousand and nineteen prices, not at all,
1: right, right, in terms of general, and I don't know if this is kind of outside of it's definitely outside of what we usually talk about, yeah, but in a world in which so many. You know, stocks seem overvalued, housing seems like it's went on a run, people are worried about inflation, but where is a safe place to put your money right now?
3: You know, Ethereum. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Safe, like riskless. Obviously, the only thing riskless is, you know, good government debt. But, you know, then you run the risk of inflation. So, you know, you've got inflation protected securities, but then you have rate risk on that. So, you know, short term, you know, cash like products are, are the closest things to safe. But, you know, we've got inflation risk there. So unless it's, you know, inflation protected, you always have risk. So your your question is what's the good asset these days, or what's what's? You safe? know
1: what? Mate, let's let's rephrase it to good. That's a little more yeah. interesting for for our listeners, I think.
3: Oh boy, you know, I, I believe in no arbitrage. I think you know, if you want safe, you're looking at terrible, terrible yields. I mean, could you imagine locking up your money for thirty years at whatever one percent? It just I, I'd never do that, but that's what you get for safe. So. You know, diversified stock. I mean, look, real estate's done well. I I, I don't want to be anti-real estate, but, you know, a, a diversified stock portfolio by index fund, you know, may be a little overvalued, but you're going to do well in the long run. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you heard it here first, folks. Tom, we have this segment called the Five Wire, Five Quick Questions About Vancouver. I think you've you've huh. answered these questions before, but who knows? Something might have changed. Are you, are you yeah, able to stick COVID, around for right? that? Yeah, sure. All right. Favorite restaurant in Vancouver. And if I remember correctly, I think you're a big sushi guy, but curious to hear. You know,
3: I'm moving towards vegan. So, but you know what? I'm going to give a shout out to Fossil Ethiopian somewhere on East Broadway in Mount Pleasant. Just ordered in them from last night. It's good
1: every time. Uh, speaking of which, favorite neighborhood? Kits. Right. It's the only one I go in. So how can I have a different one? Yeah. <laughs> One book you would recommend our listeners read doesn't have to be real estate or economics related.
3: I mean, I hate to say this on a thing that people listen to, but, you know, my wife and I both recently read the two volume uh, biography of Hitler that came out recently by a German author. You know, so fast. I mean, a terrible, terrible human being who did bad things to my people. But, you know, just fascinating. I, oh, if you want another one, I read uh, Bloodlands about Stalin and Hitler. Just that's the got to be it. Bloodlands. I mean, so disturbing about Ukraine and Belarus and these areas. They got it both ways so bad. Stalin, like, you know, there was I mean, this is terrible, but there was cannibalization. They were, the you know, the famine that he induced by stealing all the wheat in Ukraine. And then the Nazis come in and murder everybody. And of course, you know, murder all the Jews. So, I mean, just incredible it's so such grim reading but you know quite fascinating
1: is is that an academic history or a popular history? no it's
3: popular totally readable bloodlands very readable depressing you know like the guys like you know uh, i mean it's depressing I mean, you know you don't want to make light of it obviously but uh he doesn't that's for sure
1: right huh okay that, that's 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 a good one uh um, both of
3: them very readable
1: right uh th- this is a new question tom favorite band or song
3: all right. Well, you know, I mean, Mr. YouTube and Spotify for me is definitely George Benson. And listen to the last six minutes of Serbian Blue. I mean, you know, I th- I just listened to Sultans of Swing. Like you go any live version of that. And George Benson is so much. I just think he's, he's he's, he's you know, in a different class of guitarist. I mean, he is because I think he called himself bebop or something like that. But, you know, many of us would think of George Benson, the schmaltz artist, you know, like give me to the nighter, which is fine. But oh, my God, his his rock out guitar stuff is amazing.
1: Wow, that is a good one. That is a good one.
3: You got to listen to it right now. Minute six through 12 of Serbian blues. So freaking good. I'm just
1: maybe we'll try and go out on it. Last but not least, Tom, one thing you have bought for under fifteen hundred dollars in the last six months to a year that has not transformed your life, but had a very positive impact.
3: Well, it was just uh, both my 50th birthday and Father's Day, and my kids convinced my wife to get me ear pods, you know, whatever the Apple free is. Oh, the AirPods, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: AirPods, sorry. Unreal, you know? Like, it's so great. Like, I I could listen to my George Benson and not hear my family (laughs) ask for stuff. Fantastic. A plus.
1: Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Well, this this has been really great, Tom. How can people find out more about uh, what you're doing? And of course, they should. everyone should be following you on Twitter.
3: Well, that's for the quick quick and easy. And, and, and you know, that's probably where I'll put all the academic stuff, too. Blogs.ubc.ca slash David off. And if you uh, Google, I don't know the URL off the top of my head. Center for Urban Economics and Real Estate at Sauter. I've actually gone, you know, stepping on your toes a little bit. I've done a bunch of interviews that I thought were really interesting. I interviewed a realtor in Houston, Texas, because it's just a really interesting market to me. Right. And and picked up a bit of wisdom there. And I had a great one with uh, Richard Woodstock and Bryn Davidson recently. So some good interviews there. Oh, both
1: past guests of this show. (laughs) <laughs>
3: yeah, well, you know, great minds think alike.
1: <laughs> right on. Well, thanks again for your time, Tom. Uh as you know and and listeners may have found out, Adam left the building. Had to had to run, but but really appreciate your time and yeah, hopefully we'll check in in a couple months, but uh this was great.
3: Thank you very much.
1: So there you have it, folks, our discussion with associate professor at the UBC Scotter School of Business and past guest fan favorite, Tom Davidoff. Really
2: enjoyed that conversation with Tom, Matt. I had to step out for a meeting halfway through, so you were the uh, main questionnaire, but uh, you know is, what, Tom, it, is it what uh, I, I have, No, that's not. I was so, a main, You were the deliverer I, of
1: questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was the main census taker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, it was a great chat. Regardless, it was a great chat. I always love talking to Tom. I remember the first time we talked to Tom. It was almost intimidating talking to Tom Davidoff because he's so high level, right? Yeah, but, it still uh, is. It's still it's still very intimidating. But now it's more. Uh, you know, we're on that level where it's it's comfortable. I think as you left, I was like, man. Can I bear the brunt of this? And uh, Well, you
2: know, it's funny because he's played in, like, the highest level arenas intellectually, like, around the world, right? right? I mean, the best Tom Davidoff interview was the tete-a-tete with Andre Pavlov. Oh, yeah. At, yeah. at Tom's dining room table. That might go down as one of the best moments of my life. That was uh, a— <laughs> <laughs> really?
1: One That's, of them. Yeah. Top ten. <laughs> Hashtag that Kokomo life. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> well, you know what's crazy, though, is that that was a really, really unbelievable debate. And it's funny how, like, Tom and Andre are are working on papers together. Yeah, good um, friends. They're, well, yeah, they're good friends.
1: But, man, do they not see eye to eye on certain things, eh? Almost, I feel like we said in the intro of that episode, it was like you could have said, like, this wall is white and then if Tom said that, Andre would say, no, it's black. Yeah. Like yeah. there's just, there's no, there's no agree. They, they didn't agree on, on anything. And it's, a, it's amazing because two super, super bright guys yeah. in the same field. So who uh, are not
2: afraid to put their neck out in the media. And that's what I love about these guys too, is they're actually shaping housing policy in Vancouver. And it often, the critique of, you know, the ivory tower, or the university is, is that it doesn't always impact where the rubber hits the road, but like, these guys are living proof that they're inspiring, influencing policy, and uh, man, it's great having them both as reoccurring guests on the show. I couldn't be happier.
1: No kidding. No kidding. So what else do we have before we go today, Adam? One, vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to vancouverrealestatepodcast.com where you can sign up for things like the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer. We have... Industrial space VIP access right now. We have the deal of the month. Man, we had assembly VIP access. There is no reason... You don't want to be on the live wire if you are at all interested in real estate here in Vancouver or even beyond, beyond right. the live wire. There's no reason why. We also have private client services. Yeah,
2: Matt, and if you are not using PCS, you are standing still. while, the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. This is the best way to search for real estate in Vancouver. We've tried them all, and uh, we are offering it to listeners of this show. For free, just sign up at com. No obligation, just great resources.
1: That's right. And uh, as a final plug, just remember when it's 32 above on Saturday yeah. and everybody's at the beach, Adam will be... Working hard, I'll be sweating it out at an open. Sweat, no sandals for him. Hashtag Kokomo life. Yeah, let's let's keep tag
2: up. us in your Kokomo life photos. Uh, we want to see them. And hey, Live there, vicariously, there you. might even be a, a signed book, Vancouverism for you. Possibly, just, possibly. just, just depends possibly. how good that photo is. Depends how Kokomo that photo is. All right, Matt. Well, next week I cannot wait. We have John Stovell on. He is the president and CEO of Reliance Properties. If anyone heard our earlier interview from a couple years back with John, 2018, you are, you are was, not going to want to miss this speaking interview. Of,
1: speaking of guys who tell you what they think, yeah, uh, John Stovell. And the only question I have is, what's his favorite band?
2: Well, yeah. and Stay but, tuned. But municipal politics, where to invest in real estate, what's going to happen in the market, talk about an action-packed hour. We take a full hour with John. Um, you are not going to be disappointed.
1: Definitely not. If you want to talk about that or anything real estate related at all, Give me a shout at 778 847 2854 or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Or you can try me at 778
2: 866 4574 or Adam at
1: Vancouver Real We also got that secret line info at Vancouver Real So enjoy the sun, uh, keep lotioned up, and make sure you're living that Kokomo life. Yeah,
2: SPF 50. <laughs> Learn from my mistakes. Take care. Enjoy.
1: for radio.
2: Subscribe today.